0: This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingalls Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith.
1: Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here and welcome to tonight's Ingalls On The Beat segment. Appreciate you joining me each Monday for the show. And tonight... A very special guest, longtime friend, and certainly one of the top analysts in college football, Cole Kubelik joins us, and Cole with his uh, with his son Locke uh, joining him there. And Cole, really appreciate you taking the time. Of course, Georgia fans remember uh, once an Auburn Tiger. I guess uh, he always doesn't affect his judgment, though. I think Cole does a fantastic <laughs> job and has really created a niche. Um, not just his expertise with the offensive line, but in the SEC now. And his perspective on the game has been invaluable. So, Cole, let me just jump right out here and ask you on your three biggest takeaways. We didn't practice the show. So it's right off the top of his head. It shows you how much he's offensive line. He was a center, though. He thinks fast. Three biggest takeaways from SEC media days.
0: Uh, well, one of them was that was... Probably. Well, I would kind of group it together and I would say just the caliber of, of player that I was able to sit down and talk with. Uh, Cedric Van Praan would be one of those guys uh, to hear him talk about cutting weight and then the emphasis that he's going to put on fundamentals this offseason or has put on fundamentals this offseason as a, you know, three year starter. Basically, a guy that said, hey, my, my foot, my feet work needs to get better. My, my hands need to get better. Uh, I need to get better with my hat placement. All those things are. To hear a young man in that position uh, is pretty impressive. And, you know, got to got to talk with a couple other guys. I mean, Elijah McAllister at Auburn, if you haven't had a chance to sit down and visit with him, he is just beyond impressive. Like, uh, feels like the guy will be running the country one day. Uh, Jacob Warren tied in at Tennessee, same thing. Like, he's he told us he wants to run a business one day, but he doesn't just want one business. He wants to own a strip mall, and he already has ideas for all the businesses in the strip mall. And I'm just thinking... I was just trying to get through a workout when I was in college. So uh, w- the, one of the first things would just be the, the caliber of player that was there and how impressive they were. And I know how much they have going on and, and how much pressure's on them these days and a lot of a lot more distractions than ever. But some, some kids that just were really – like we talked to Dallas Turner in Alabama and just like his focus was really impressive. And, you know, sometimes I think these guys go nameless and we think we know them, but we don't really know them. We don't know everything going on, but to be able to sit down and talk to a couple that just kind of blew us away was my first takeaway. Second would be probably the comfort level of Hugh freeze and Zach Arnett. Um, I knew Zach Arnett would impress people, but I knew that people didn't know what to expect because they haven't had a lot of time with him. And he has a very, uh, a very sort of gruff exterior. You know, he's got that defensive coordinator intensity like that's, that's who he appears to be, but he's a fun guy to talk to. He's got a great personality. And I thought it was cool that, that, that people got to see him open up a little bit. And I don't know why people didn't expect Hugh Freeze not to go impress. Uh, he's always been able to work a room. I, I mean, that's what, he's, that's what he's best at. And and he did it again at SEC Media Day. So I think that was probably uh, maybe, maybe more of a surprise that people thought that was going to be surprising, and then it wasn't. Um, and then probably the other part just – how big some of the unanswered questions are in this league. We heard Nick Saban with the cake analogy, talking about their quarterbacks, you know, obviously Kirby's not going to go ahead and say, we're definitely going one way or the other at a couple positions, but uh, there are some massive question marks at multiple positions in this league that we just don't know the answers to. Uh, and, And a couple of them are quarterbacks. Some of them are at some other spots as well, but those would probably be my, the three big things that I left thinking about from SEC media days.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you brought up Jacob Warren. He remind I remember when he signed at Tennessee. I was actually still on the Tennessee beat, and he was a guy that wasn't highly recruited. And you just kind of felt no. like, well, you know, Butch Jones is giving this guy a chance because his dad was a player. He's yep. a local kid. Kind of reminds me, like I think that's the Tennessee version. Of Vlad McConkie and, and now Georgia brought great representatives as you mentioned Cedric Van Pran is certainly a guy after your own heart a center a spokesman looks like he could be a future governor some somewhere he's just absolutely such a leader and steady guy uh Brock Bowers who you know just wants to play ball man I mean Kirby yep. made him come because he's this all-American figure but somebody said well what do you think about the challenge to talk and he said I just usually don't have a lot to say it's not that he can talk it's just Right. He doesn't want to just run at the mouth. To, he doesn't need to call attention to himself. And then Kamari Lasseter, just kind of this business-like guy who represents development in the program. Not saying he wasn't highly recruited, but he wasn't one of these five-star guys on everybody's All-American team. Just a really solid player that's gotten better in the Georgia system. And But the guy they didn't bring... That, that I think is the, is the poster child for Georgia football is Lad McConkie, Cole. When I look at Lad and, you know, you talk about a three-star guy who redshirted, it kind of reminds me of the offensive version of Eric Stokes, who was the lowest-rated uh, prospect that Georgia signed in his class, ends up being a first-rounder, We're yet to be seen where Lad goes, but I think he's going to impress people. But Ladd has graduated from school in three years He's a dynamic receiver on one side, also valuable in the return game. I think a real plus, and I was glad to see that he got all SEC recognition. Now, staying on that topic and switching gears, I want to ask you, Georgia had 11 first-team selections, Cole. Do we really believe that there's at the end of the year there will be 11? How much of this was carryover from last year versus Georgia being that much better than the rest of the
0: league? I don't know if there'll be eleven, Mike. But just because in the preseason, it almost has to be carryover, right? I mean, we're it, some of it is a projection, but there are certain guys that the only projection that we can take anything from is what they did the previous year or years. So, but it's not like uh, the majority of them weren't necessarily fair. I mean, there's, there's not a tight end you're going to put above Brock Bowers. There's there's not a center that I would put above Cedric. Um, I mean, Dumas Johnson, there's I don't think there's, I mean, maybe Harold Perkins, but I mean, if you're gonna have two off-the-ball linebackers, those two are, are probably gonna be those guys. Um, you know, both safeties probably. I don't I don't know how many other guys from the league that I'll put ahead of those two. So I mean, I, I I think that you have guys that are coming back to Georgia that have already played. They played impactful football. Georgia's played more games than any other team in the SEC the last two years. So you know, we, we've seen more of them and we've seen more of them on, on big stages. So I would say probably not as many at the end of the year. Now, if you went first, second, third team, I think there will be as many or more, but somebody's going to blow up and have a big year that we just weren't anticipating going into media days. And then that person will probably move up. But most of the guys, especially on first team that I saw, um, I, I voted glad second team because I had juice Wells first team um with Malik neighbors but I mean it's it's not that he doesn't deserve that recognition um uh, most of the guys that that Georgia had on the first team all SEC offense and defense I believe I had on my ballot so they're they're deserving and the guys at the end of the year will be deserving also because we'll have a whole another year to be able to watch through what they're capable of doing. Now, I think,
1: and I'm guessing you probably picked Georgia to win the league. You were among that faction that did that, Cole. And and certainly the Bulldogs look loaded. You look at their schedule. It appears to give them a pretty nice runway uh, into the month of October and November. I think that road trip to Auburn is one I've got circled. It is the first big test. I think South Carolina is a test, but at home, I really like the dogs in that. And I want to ask you this, and I want to be clear with people, because I know, again, you picked Georgia to win the SEC. I picked Georgia to win the SEC. But there are questions with this team. So when we break this down, it's not saying that George is not gonna win or, you know, shouldn't be the favorite. But when we look at this team, Cole, there are some really real questions about Georgia football with what? 50, 25 guys being drafted over the last 2 years, five first rounders off of the defensive line alone in the last 2 years. When you look at Georgia football, what are some of the questions that you think the Bulldogs have to answer to be able to make a run through the playoffs? Cuz I think we both think they can get through the season. Yeah. But what do they need to do to make it through the playoff in in threepeat in your opinion?
0: Yeah, if you're talking about those things, Mike, getting to and then winning two games in the playoff, winning a national championship again, the standard should be pretty close to what we've seen the last two years. So I think a lot of times um, there are certain people out there that, that do shows that talk about Georgia that like to take micro bits of information they hear and then turn that into a complete negative about Georgia. Right. But when, you, when, when I compare Georgia things to Georgia teams, I'm going to use that standard I've seen the last two or three years. And the interior of the defensive line right now doesn't really look like it's close to that. It doesn't, the depth. I mean, I I could I mean, two years ago they had just, you know, I think it's something you and I actually talk about how it felt like there was a different defensive lineman that took over a game every week. Like it was Wyatt one week and it was Davis one week and then Carter the next week. And it's just like, how do they have a different guy that absolutely dominates and disrupts every week? I haven't seen all those guys do that yet. So and I've done this with Alabama before and Alabama fans would get mad at it the last, you know, eight or nine years. Well, when Jonathan Allen was a freshman, like we saw what he could do. And then he started playing a little more and then he's a starter. And then you saw like Quentin Williams was probably the only one at Bama that really came out of nowhere that we hardly saw anything of the year before. And the next thing you know, he was completely dominant. And I also think they altered the defense to be able to utilize his skill set, which helped him. But um, I think up front, you know, from a Georgia perspective, I want to see some of these freshmen like Damon Wilson at edge, Raylan Wilson at linebacker, Jordan Hall at defensive tackle. Like if they get freshmen come in and and take meaningful reps, well, that, that means that those, those guys probably are special players like we've been talking about. And could it be five snaps a game, 25 snaps a game? I I don't, I don't know. Um, But that helps when you can get premier talent to be able to come in and help your team a little bit. And I want to see where some of those guys are. I think the, I think it, this is not going to matter winning a national championship, but I am interested to see the pecking order at quarterback. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people have just, you know, handed it off to Carson Beck, but Brock Vandergrift's a super talented kid. I love Gunnar Stockton. You know, I called one of his games in high school and talked to his coach for a long time about him. Like, I just, I just like what he's all about. So is, is that really going to be one, two, three in that order? I, I don't know. I'm interested to see that. Um, and then just the, the chemistry and the continuity. And, Mike, we won't know that coming out of fall camp. We're not going to learn that after the first few practices, maybe not even the first few games. But does, does this team have that kind of leadership? Does this team have that killer instinct? Does this team have the motivation that Kirby's been able to instill in the last two groups? Again, not saying that they don't but they're probably going to have to have those things to go win a national championship. You know, the organization of your team has to fall in line if you're going to go do something special. And usually a lot of that has to be self-policed. It can't just be constantly coaches telling you what to do, telling you what to do, because then it falls on deaf ears at some point. So the offense is a little bit of a concern um, because I've shared this with you. I thought the main reason they were so difficult to defend towards the end of last year, and they had great players and Stetson was incredible but they just ran everything. I mean, they had every run, they had every screen, they had quarterback runs, they had reads, they had RPOs. I mean, they had, they had all of it. Really, literally the entire playbook, every protection. Can it be that diverse this year? I I don't, I don't know. And I'm not in this camp of uh, Mike Bobo can't call plays or all Mike Bobo does is call run plays. I don't really know where, where some of that comes from. Uh, maybe some people were just watching when he took over at South Carolina a couple of years ago, but they didn't have a quarterback that could really throw a forward pass. So he did what he had to do. I think I think Mike is solid, but is it going to be as diverse as it has been? Some of that veteran quarterback, some of that had a great coordinator goes to the NFL. We'll see. They're all first world problems, either way you look at it. They're, I mean, the, the quote concerns you have for Georgia are minimal compared to what we would talk about with the majority of sec teams going into fall camp
1: yeah and, and that's in and that that's what we underscore cole you know when you're evaluating a championship program you're evaluating on championship standards you're not evaluating on the average sec team so when we pick georgia apart we pick them apart because kirby has elevated the standards so high that if it's not a national championship team well well what went wrong because this right. is the, this has become the expectation. And, and to your point, things are going to have to be done differently. And you didn't say anything different than Kirby Smart has said in these press conferences. It's just, it's condensed and it's focused on the areas that the Bulldogs have to shore up. I mean, we could spend 30 or 35 minutes waving pom-poms and talking about everything that's great about Georgia football. <clears throat> but ultimately, I think something you said in there that stuck out to me We don't know what we don't know. And here's what that means. When Georgia had an opportunity to avenge its loss to Alabama in the national championship game and trailed going into the fourth quarter, we didn't know how they would respond until they did it. When they traveled on the road by 10 points at Missouri and were struggling to throw the football, we didn't know how they would respond until they pulled together and found a way. When they were down 14 points in the fourth quarter against the Ohio State in the CFP final and elimination game, we had some idea because they'd done it before, but we still didn't know how that team. Now, we don't know what the quarterback does. under. We, Kirby doesn't know. Kirby has said out loud. He doesn't know what, what these guys are going to do under pressure at quarterback. And there's only so much that he can simulate in practices when you're not hitting the quarterback. So this is a team we're going to learn about Uh, As the season goes on, Cole, I want to, before I let you go, I want you to drill deep into your expertise because this is, you know, obviously you've got a good overview of the league. You go to all the games with the SEC network. You talk to the coaches and the players behind the scenes. You've got a very unique perspective that really only a handful of analysts uh, in the nation have. I really consider you an insider. Uh, When we evaluate the Georgia offensive line though, And we say this could be one of the best Georgia offensive lines ever. I've heard that a lot of people say that. And they do have three first-team guys. But, Cole, they don't have Broderick Jones at left tackle. And it's Ernest Green or Austin Blasky. That's a first-time starter. Can you provide some perspective on how big that left tackle spot is and what you think of the guys that are coming back that you have been able to evaluate?
0: Well, the first thing that I would say is I I do think we've moved on a little bit from, you know, the left tackle being the position that the blind side was originally written about. And I'm not talking about the movie. I've actually never seen the movie because the book is so good. I don't want it to ruin it for me. But if you actually go read the book and you, you have an understanding from, you know, the San Francisco 49ers teams at the 80s and protecting Joe Montana, why that position became what it was. I don't know if it's that in football anymore. But number one, the ball gets out so quick. Um, yeah, I've talked to a couple of defensive coordinators, Will Muschamp being one, that have said, you know, denting the pocket the majority of the time nowadays is more important than actually getting a rush off the edge because all that quick game is usually hit in the middle of the field. That's where your conflict defender is a lot of the times. And it's just there are fewer players that these edge rushers can impact now. You're still going to be on an island at times out there at left tackle. You're still going to have your one-on-ones. But the other thing that I would tell you, Mike, is we're used to having these Jadavion um, you know, Carl Lawson's, you know, Tim Williams on every football team in the SEC. There's just not a ton of them right now. Uh, I think the edge defender is is a little bit down in the league because it used to be, oh, here comes Montez Sweat, you know, um, you know here comes – you know, Jordan Jenkins, whoever, just like take your pick uh, of the guys off the edge. You know, And he, I think that's one reason Harold Perkins got moved down there at LSU last year is it just the Javon Curses and the Dare Halls, just there's not a ton of them in the SEC right now. So, like, you look down that schedule, if Jordan Stration comes back at South Carolina healthy, he led the nation in sacks a couple of years ago at Georgia State, maybe Kentucky does have J.J. Weaver. Florida's got Princely, but he's a little bit off and on. Missouri's not, they've been a great edge team in the past, but not so much. Ole Miss gets a transfer from JMU. That's a maybe, you know, Tyler Barron's back at Tennessee. So possibly, but it's just like, those guys aren't the, it doesn't matter who you have. You're not going to be able to deal with them. Uh, The other thing I think Georgia does have is numbers at tight end. Um, It's not just Brock Bowers, but Oscar Delp and the guys coming in. I think you can, you can offer up some assistance over there that can offset things just a little bit. And I just think the way Georgia practices and the competitive nature of it, the physicality is not missing from those practices. Whoever does win that spot for Coach Searles will be fine. How I'll judge that group is, I think, going into the season, one of the best in college football. It wouldn't surprise me if they're the best in college football. You have that kind of leadership up front in the middle that has played the meaningful snaps that they have. They should excel. They, they should be elite and Georgia has something that very few teams in college football still carry, and that's the ability to bludgeon you. And there's just there's not a lot of groups that can kick your ass on a week in, week out basis. I probably shouldn't have said that in front of my three year old, but I just did. He didn't <laughs> react to it, so we're going to pretend like it didn't happen. Um, but there's just not a lot of teams, Mike, that have that portion of who they are. Like it's it's just not in their DNA. Like Alabama media days, you know, they're talking about how they want to get back to that and they say they want to be that again, it's easy to talk about it, but you can't, that that doesn't make it happen, you have to go practice it, you have to go put the physicality into it, and Alabama is one of those teams that will do it in practice, but Georgia is also, so that, they just bring a different perspective of how to play the position than the majority of college football teams do. That's great,
1: great analysis, Cole, I really appreciate, and I really appreciate your time, it was nice to, to meet Locke as well, he was so well behaved, and I got a feeling that if you live in that household, you're going to have to learn a little bit about kicking butt uh, with a dad that follows football so. to the degree that uh, that you do and as well as you do it, Cole. So thank you for your time. We're going to take a halftime break right now and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. When I come back, I want to dive in a little bit deeper into some some of Cole's analysis, uh, especially on the interior defensive line. You're watching the Ingles on the Beach show. Now let's just take a moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles.
0: Ingalls, low prices, love the savings.
1: Hey buddy, Mike Griffith here, and welcome back to the show. And really appreciated Cole Kubelik on the first half of the show. Go back a long way with Cole. Cole was on radio in Huntsville, When I started working with him, uh, gosh, I want to say seven to eight years ago, maybe, and I was actually covering Michigan State, and he would call those Michigan State teams back when they were pretty respectable, three top 10 seasons in a row for the Spartans, represented the greatest era of all time for Michigan State. So here I am now covering Georgia, and it's the greatest Georgia era of all time, and that is not even debatable, folks. Back-to-back national titles... I did this story the other day. Do you realize that none of Vince Dooley's teams were ever a preseason top five team in the AP poll and Mark Richt had three of them. And I think this is going to be the sixth year in a row that the dogs are ranked preseason top five. Let's see. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, six years in a row. And you're going on 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. You're going on potentially seven years in a row with a top 10 team. If Kirby can bring that home also, Georgia has won 10 straight games against ranked opponents in Sanford Stadium. I don't know that Georgia is going to see a ranked team in Sanford Stadium this year. Um, But if they do, they got a nice winning streak. 27 consecutive regular season wins in a row, uh, dating back to a loss to Florida in Jacksonville. Uh, And how many? 17 straight wins? Uh, just flat out wins dating back to that loss to Alabama in the 2021 SEC championship game. So Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs have built up a lot of momentum coming into this season. And I, I like having Cole on because, again, I don't know if people recognize how this works, but when guys like Cole and, and, and Jordan Rodgers uh, go to different games each week, they have an opportunity to meet with the coaches and the players behind the scenes and get them one on one. And, and that's just great access, and, and it is the SEC network, so it makes sense that the teams in the league are going to give the SEC network that sort of uh, access, and Cole knows what to do with it. Cole gets great perspective, um, has a good idea of how these teams work, and he can compare one program to another program because he sees the whole league, so when we talk about what does Georgia need to do and where is Georgia falling off, you're talking about somebody that's seen this firsthand, and And I think most Georgia fans recognize that, yes, Jalen Carter was special. Jordan Davis was special. But how special? You know, I look at it like having Jalen Carter out there was like having a 12th defender because there was nobody that was going to single block him. And then when Cole talked later about what Muschamp said about denning the pocket, pushing the pocket, what comes to mind to me was the performance that Jalen Carter had against Tennessee and how disruptive that was to the Vols' quick game. Not only could they not communicate because of the crowd, but they had the pass rush in, uh, in his face, Hendon Hooker's face, before he could get the ball off many occasions. That really disrupted Tennessee. You know, Tennessee didn't have a play of over 20 yards until there was less than five minutes left in the game, and Georgia kind of gone to that prevent prevent mode uh, with a big lead. So I thought that was great analysis. So here's the question. Can Nazir Stackhouse, Zion Logue, Warren Brinson, or Jordan Hall, can one of those four guys evolve into a first-round pick? Because Georgia has had a first round defensive tackle uh, playing since 2020. It's been a minute since we've seen anybody. I guess Florida. Florida ran the ball somewhat effectively on Georgia. It's been a minute. And they, of course, Georgia lost that game 2020. It's been a minute since people have been able to run. Are they going to be able to run against Georgia? That is the question. Or to what degree can they run? Now, there's plenty of offensive firepower, I believe, even with the loss of some really key guys in Darnell Washington, Kenny McIntosh, certainly Stetson Bennett was a veteran that added that second dimension, got better and better and better each of the three years we saw him start uh, for the Bulldogs from 2020-21-22. It's going to be hard to replace that leadership, and those unique skill sets that those three players brought. You lost to Donnie Mitchell in the transfer portal and Dominic Blaylock In return, you get Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett. Love, love it. Think he's going to be huge out of slot. Think he's a game breaker. Is he worth the trade of Darnell Washington and personnel? Time will tell. It depends on how Mike Bobo uses the offense. It depends on how effective the quarterback is. And you heard Cole bring this up. How much can they do? Right. How much can Carson Beck do at the line of scrimmage or Brock Vandergriff or Gunner, Stout, whoever it is? I think it's going to be Beck. I think Vandergriff's going to get a shot. I think it's up to Beck to hold the job and not lose it. I.e., Carson can't make bad decisions if Kirby doesn't trust him with the ball and with the decisions. He'll go with a guy who's more limited, but more predictable. It's just how Kirby is. He's not going to put a quarterback out there that's going to put the team at risk. It's going to be up to Carson to prove that he can manage this team and keep this train on the rails. That's going to happen in the three weeks of scrimmages that they take place in the fall. It's going to happen throughout the early games in the regular season. Those are good questions to ask about the interior defensive line, about the quarterback position. And finally, yes, the chemistry. Look, it's been a long offseason, it's been well documented. How accountable are the players to one another in the clubhouse and on the football field? That's where the chemistry has to translate. It has in the past, Kirby says these guys like each other, but what's it like on the football field? Very important that Georgia has the same sort of cohesion and buy-in and love for one another that we've seen these last three, four, five, six years under Kirby Smart. So those are all very interesting things. Now, I want to turn the page a little bit and reflect on the last weekend some interesting stories that I did for Dog Nation. Hopefully you had a chance to catch them. Number one, Stetson Bennett in Los Angeles making plays. Guys are making plays for him. And McVeigh saying that when Stetson makes mistakes, he's able to move on from them. That's important because as long as Stetson keeps the right attitude, I think there's enough upside there to keep the Rams intrigued. He's not going to know it right away. It's not going to come automatic. It's going to take time just like it did at Georgia. Can Stetson's athleticism and attitude buy him enough time in the league uh, for him to get his game polished enough to be ready to take over an NFL team remains to be seen but so far. So good, he's in an ideal situation. He's got a coach that believes in him. He's playing behind a veteran who's going to be very helpful. Stafford loves him some stets. And Bennett, I was there in the tunnel and got to see Stafford give Bennett a hug after the title game when Kirby brought him over there. I mean, I watched it, I was like, I wasn't looking for it to happen. I just happened to be standing there, and I'm like, wow, look at that. Stafford Bennett meeting Kirby introducing him. Stafford giving him a hug. This is before the Rams had drafted him, right? This is at the national championship game at SoFi. So You can tell that Stafford likes the idea of a bulldog being there. And I know that Stetson has expressed a lot of respect, um, you know, for Matthew Stafford as well. So pretty interesting stuff there uh kenny mcintosh uh, opportunity knocks kenneth walker with a groin injury zach charbonneau uh, with a shoulder and all of a sudden kenny mcintosh is getting first team reps in seattle now i don't think he's going to hold the job i think the minute kenneth walker gets back uh the guy rushed for over a thousand yards last year you saw what he did at michigan state a couple of years ago i had him on my heisman list as one of the top three players in the country i think he's special but the fact that kenny is getting these reps I think it's it's not a stretch to say he'll move past Zach Charbonneau is uh, the number two back in Seattle. In fact, Jim Nagy had Kenny rated ahead of Charbonneau, the UCLA back, uh, after the regular season. All it was was Kenny's forty. Pete Carroll saying great things about Kenny. Like Pete Carroll knows running backs, folks, and he is saying some fantastic things about Kenny. Talked about how he's lost ten pounds. Talked about how he looks like a four or five guy. Remember, Kenny was a four or six guy. at The combat. they're seeing the explosion, the burst, the cutback division. They're starting to see it in Seattle. And this could be very, very big. Some other news. Sony Michelle retired. He had gone back to the Rams after a year in San Diego, hoped to make the team as late as last Friday. Met with Sean McVay on Saturday. And basically they came to the conclusion it was time for Sony to hang it up. The head coach said his body's telling him that. Listen, that is a physical position. These running backs don't have a long shelf life. This is, you've seen the big debate and argument over their value and what they should be paid. Sonny Michelle is going to be exhibit A of why you don't draft a running back in the first round. Although you could make the case, he did help the New England Patriots win a Super Bowl, and he was a part of that Rams team, led the Rams in rushing the year they won a Super Bowl. So I don't, I, I, I'm a former, you know, high school running back. So I'm partial to the position. I love the position. I think they're game changers. They think Saquon Barkley is worth his weight in gold. I don't understand how some of these other guys. But I do see the argument because of the shelf life and the fact that the running backs often have to be platooned because the game has gotten that physical. You think about it, running backs, those guys get beat up probably more than anybody on the field. They're not protected like the quarterback position and even the receiver position is now. So think about that. Very interesting stuff there. Sony Michelle retiring. What a fantastic career. How many great memories have we seen from Sony Michelle and Georgia. You think about the Oklahoma game, you think about the way he stepped up with Nick Chubb being injured. Georgia's number three all-time rusher. I think he's a special guy. I hope he gets honored uh, in Sanford Stadium at a home game this year in some way, shape, or form. I hope we see more of Sonny Michelle Now that he's retired, I know he's certainly welcome in the Georgia football community. Very special player. One of the Georgia running back legends, Sonny Michelle retiring from the Los Angeles Rams last weekend. So very interesting stuff. More interesting stuff. Barry Alexander, and I know this is where some people say, oh, he's not with us anymore. Don't talk about the guy. I think it's interesting, and I think you talk about it because you want to learn from it. This is a guy who said, who told Kirby Smart, he bleeds red, white, and black. Okay, well, then he says at media day this week, he was secretly committed to Oklahoma. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was Texas A&M. This just goes to show you folks that in many cases, these players have a lot of offers. And, and, and at the same time, they're juggling a lot, and they're keeping their options open. And I don't fault Barry Alexander for this, by the way. I think this is the way it is. And you've heard Kirby say it, you've heard Lane Kiffin talk about it. The NIL has created these opportunities for players, which on one respect is very good and very deserving. But in the other respect, there are some unintended consequences that come with that. Specifically, roster management becomes much more challenging, number one. And then, of course, we talked about some of the purchases of the players, and they do have a penchant for wanting um, you know, fast cars. And a lot of these guys have never driven before. That's a bad mix. You put a guy that's never driven behind the wheel of a Hellcat, uh, that's a dangerous mix. Um, anywhere, doesn't matter what school we're talking about. And you see these tickets. It's not just exclusive to Georgia. We've seen things happen in the NFL. I saw Jordan Addison, uh receiver with the Vikings. This guy got a ticket going 140 miles an hour something about, I think I read He's having some pet emergency. Or I don't know what the emergency is, but 140 miles an hour is 140 miles an hour. Not the first time we've seen it though, right? So I think there's some unintended consequences. Uh, the Barry Alexander story out of USC to me, Um, is a case in point. I mean, this is a guy Georgia was really counting on. You heard what Cole said. Barry Alexander would have helped that room, okay? Don't don't kid yourself. Don't act like he wasn't good or he wasn't going to be a difference maker. He was. Third down, pass rusher. Jordan Hall said the same thing. You can read that story. Jordan Hall said he was going to be a big piece of this. Now he's gone. Last minute, spring game, he's out. So what does Georgia do? And Georgia's not the only program, by the way, dealing with transfers. Now the dogs have lost by my count. 25, at least 25 players over the last two years, transfers. And I want to say at least six of them were starters at some point. That's a lot. All right. That's a lot of attrition. Other schools have lost even more, but this is a new part of the game. And to me, this is a part of the game where Kirby Smart really excels. I think Kirby is the modern day master of roster management. As I've said, I think that's what makes him the best and now he will manage what he has. We're past these transfer windows. We're finally in a position going into fall camp where we can see how these teams start to shake out and lock in on the football season. That's, that's finally, we're finally there. The off season has been long. It's long for every program with the portal windows. It's long for every program with the nature of recruiting right now and the nature of tampering. Every program goes through it. It's really harder on these coaches than ever, But now we're all to the point where we can focus in on football. Georgia practice starts Thursday. Kirby Smart with a press conference on Wednesday. I will be there. Connor Riley will be there. Don't forget this week, every day, 10 a.m., Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams. You're going to want to check that out. If you have not signed up for our Dog Nation cruise yet, by the way, it's still time to get on that. And I can't wait because it's going to be on an even Bigger ship. I can't get into all the details, but those that have been on the cruise know what I'm talking about. I think most all of you know uh, how we do it on our Dog Nation cruises. One of the fun things that I enjoy talking about and doing and, you know, kind of one last blast for me in the offseason is I think back to the the cruise we had this spring, uh, because it's going to be all it's going to be nothing but football. Uh, just geared down, straight Wednesday night. Jeff Centel, you've seen all of Jeff's coverage on recruiting. So many great commitments so far. Jeff has been on top of that uh, before the hedges Wednesday night, and of course, Connor has his show. Connor and coverage on Sunday night, and you can see the replays of that on our YouTube channel. there. that's where you're watching it, um, or you may be watching it on Facebook. Uh, we have Facebook and YouTube. You can see all the shows on both of those channels. So. Uh, for my producer, Michael Carvell, thank you very much. Really appreciated Cole Kublick joining the show. Does a fantastic job with his analysis. Uh, hope everyone has a wonderful week. I can't wait to see you later this week and bring the Kirby Smart coverage to you through our dognation.com page. Follow me on Twitter at Mike griffith 32 Have a great week, everybody.